It's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out The Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right then, parachuting into the tournament like someone who's finished third in their Champions League group. <laughs> oh goodness, yeah. <laughs> Here we are. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer SC. I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you and how is Euro 2020 doing? I'm right, thanks man. How are you? I'm good. I'm very well indeed. Well long rested. Time, I was going to say long time no see, no long time no speak, but just That's not long true. time yeah. no, no stadio. stadio. Yeah. You doing all right though? Very well, very well. Yep, yep. Eating yeah. well, sleeping well. Wow. Yourself? I'm all right, man. Thanks. I'm, um, I think I've recovered from the... The final Group F games, which were uh, probably, I think, probably purely in a footballing drama sense. I think probably my favourite night of the tournament so far. By a distance. Mm. My favourite by an absolute distance, I have to say. Yeah. Before we get on to the football, first of all, hope everyone's staying safe and well, enjoying the Euros, hanging in there. It's been a roller coaster Euros, if you think about it. It's been, it's been, there's so much has happened, if you think about it, from a... Yeah from a footballing sense, from a human sense, from a political sense, it's kind of been kind of been pretty wild, actually. It has, it has. Wild, but also strangely conventional at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. T- footballer-wise, I think it was, it kind of ramped up the last few days, I think. But yeah, hope everyone's enjoying it, hanging in there, getting vaccinated if you can. You're uh, fully jabbed now, aren't you? Listen, when I got my second jab yesterday, I felt, I don't want to sound dramatic, but I did feel a different energy flowing through me. Musa was just like, I'm going to pop by. And all of a sudden he was just hovering at my window with yeah, like rockets coming out of his hand. I was just like, what the hell? I levitated out of the clinic <laughs> as the doctor gasped. <laughs> We've not done a stadio for the Euros yet. This is our first one. You and I have been on Wrighty's house, usually after England games. 
Yeah. And we've been using that to round up the, the Euro stuff so far. But anyway, we're here, we're back. The, pod, the podcast that none of you asked for, but you're all going to get. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll be with you now for the rest of the Euro. So we're going to be doing a couple per stage of the tournament, or there will be at least one stadio after every stage of the tournament. So we're going to be back on Monday as well to do the first two days of the round of 16. There'll be Wright's House next Wednesday, and then there'll be stadios after each stage of the tournament as well. And also we might do a couple of things on Green Room, if anything pops up. Yeah, We did yep. one... Was it after Spain-Sweden game we did one on Green Room and then Brighty popped in? That's, yeah, incredible. That was really one intervention. With, yeah, uh, yeah. with Chris Ryan. So, yeah, we might do a couple of those. Uh, a couple of bits of admin, though. Stadio Pride logo tees are up for sale. If you go to twitter.com forward slash Stadio, the pinned tweet will take you directly to it. All the money is being donated to LGBTQ plus charities. It's available to pre-order for another... 12 days, I yep. think, and then days, they yeah. will be gone. And then after that, stay tuned for, we're, we're going to actually, we're in the process of figuring out more Stadio merch going into the future. We're kind of speaking to a couple of people about it at the moment. So yeah, if you want to go and buy, it's uh, available in pink, navy or white with the uh, like a baby blue Stadio logo on the front and then a kind of staggered Stadio logos in all of the color, uh, all the colors of the pride flag on the back, like we say. All the money made will be going to charity. So if you want to go purchase those, twitter.com forward slash Stadio, check the pin tweet, pick your uh, pick your colour. Also, we will be, just a disclaimer, we will be adding another type of tee to it that goes up to higher sizes if anyone yep. wants them bigger. Yeah. Any other admin, the ringer.com forward slash soccer, loads of Euro stuff going up. You had a piece go up on Lukaku, which was wicked, which oh, thanks, I've just yeah. realised hasn't been posted from the Stadio account, but shall be today. That's, yeah, that's my fault because it's like, <laughs> oh, I didn't send it to you. <laughs> Musa is dreadful fault. flagging stuff that needs to be posted. Um, although, you know, neither of us know who runs the Stadio account, so... So we've, we've been... My own relatives complain out. about that. My own relatives complain. I don't tell them anything yeah. about, oh, like, you're writing that? Oh, sorry, I just, you know, just put it out. So, yeah. Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. Haven't had an episode for a while, so it hasn't been updated, but we will be updating it today because we will be playing out on something. And I think that's everything. So, is that everything? Oh, Wrighty's House. Yeah, Wrighty's House. Yep, yep, yep. I, I was on the last right, at Wrighty's House with Wrighty. It was really fun. You were on, you did one solo. We've yep. done a couple together. Yeah. So go check Wrighty's House. I mean, if you subscribe to Ringer FC, then you'll get it anyway. Yeah. So yeah, today we're going to, uh, we're going to embrace the chaos. We are. We're going to be talking about the Group F final games and a little bit of other roundup business. And then part two, we're just going to kind of step back and have a look at the tournament so far, see what we've Themes, liked. feels, yeah. Yeah. Teams we've liked, teams we haven't liked not so much. Yes. Yes. Indeed. We had a few questions that were going to pop in as well. So, uh, Let's get into it after this. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man. Can we begin in 
what we are supposed to call the Fussball Arena Munchen for the tournament, which was not lit up in the rainbow colours. No. However, on the pitch, it was a very colourful game. It was indeed. Germany drawing with Hungary to all in a very, very, very entertaining game for a neutral. I watched this game with Germans and they were not so relaxed, it's fair to say. I do not doubt that for one second. There was a great deal of anxiety. So I watched this game over in Kreuzberg, which is one of the wonderful districts of Berlin. And my goodness, this game, I say, of course, the political context was that there was a lot of controversy over where the stadium should be lit up, as you know, because of the policies of the current Hungarian leader, Viktor Orban. Um, but the game not, itself... Who did not make it to the game, because not otherwise the game. spread criticism of him. Um, the, game, the game itself... I mean, do you want to talk about UEFA? Oh, we should we save the UEFA stuff for part two? Because we'll I think save that. It, we'll, save, think we'll, save the, we'll save that. The game itself, the summary of this is that Hungary, my God, they did their, hum, their homework. They were absolutely outstanding. Um, the headline for me is that Hungary are the tournament's biggest dark horse and have gone out, which is maybe a comment on the tournament as a whole, I think. But they were so good in all three games. They were outstanding and they actually exposed the weaknesses of each of the contenders, which mm-hmm. I thought was really incredible. So this two-all draw is interesting because if you look at the strengths of, Hungary, uh, of Germany in the last game, the 4-2 evisceration of Portugal, Hungary basically were extremely aggressive in wide areas. Mm. They looked at the wing backs and they targeted them. They swarmed Kimish sometimes. Uh, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes literally, and sometimes a bit, a bit harshly as well, to be honest. But they set the tone very early with a couple of fouls on Kimish. They slowed down the width and Gosens did not get forward at all like as much. It was very routine actually for Gosens to be overtaken in positioning by Leroy Sané. It was really interesting. They really inhibited Gosens' movement and they knew exactly what they were doing. And they were very clever keeping the ball out of the middle. And when it was in the middle, Gundogan just got engulfed, absolutely engulfed. Yeah, it was which, tra- was, which was the fear, wasn't it? With that, it was the fear. I think, I, th- I think the thing is that um, with this game, I, I've kind of gave some thoughts at half time where I was just saying that, I mean, to be honest, I understand why Kimmich has been played at right wing back. I don't mm. like him there personally. Me neither. I mean, Kimmich is good enough to play anywhere you put him. He's always going to be a seven out of 10, if, whether you play him right back, whether you play him right wing back, whether you play him right wing. Yeah, right centre back probably at this point. Right centre back or in central midfield. Like he's good enough to play pretty much anywhere he plays. The problem with him playing further forward, I was actually talking to Jonathan Harding about this during the Portugal game. I was texting him and I think I was bugging him because he was working. I was just like, Jonathan, I have thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan, you're there. You're there. (laughs) Like, listen to, it's like, you know, listen to me, listen to me. But I was saying to him that like, I kind of feel like it's a bit of a waste playing Kimmich there because. Yeah. Who is he crossing to? Like, or Jonathan, I think Jonathan said like, yeah, you know, the crossing is fine and we know why he's there, but it's like, who is he crossing to? Basically what I mean by that point is that you're taking one of the best linkers of the play, let's say, out of the central part of the pitch. I think it was okay against Portugal because Portugal basically just were way too narrow and didn't press and let Germany have space in the wide areas, which is why you saw Gosens, who was absolutely on one in that game. Yeah, continually flying around the back post. The problem was that Love tried to do the same thing against Hungary. And I was saying at half time, I wrote a couple of tweets just about like tactical thoughts. 
big, big straight white guy energy. I have tactical thoughts everywhere. Oh my God, um, with a capital T. I know. Oh God. <laughs> just about how the space just isn't there. And actually, no. if I'm being honest, the suggestion that I put forward, I really didn't expect Love to make because I th- thought it was too bold. But I said, um, Kimmish into central midfield and maybe go to a back four. Yeah. And then he literally did it. And I was just like, yeah. oh. But the thing was, it was kind of like, it was basically a back four, but occasionally, and um, because Golson's was so high, yeah, I think to cover sometimes, it looked like Leroy Sané was almost tucking into like a right wing back position defensively. Not all the time, but occasionally just to cover when the, when, the defense, yeah. when the defense got shuttled over. So yeah. Ma- Matty Ginter would tuck in and... Sane would have to trap back, but but in with the ball, and they pushed Gundogan super high. And the reason I thought that that would have worked was because with Gosens and Kimmich trying to get so high, it just kind of meant that Sane and Gnabry couldn't pull wide into those areas, and it just meant that everything was a bit clogged. Which is okay, yeah. I mean, Kimmich and it's interesting because Kimmich in the middle, it was unbelievable. Like the moment that happened, yeah, it but he was man everything. of the match. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I, I would just I would say the Hungarian centre forward as my man of the match. Well, I mean, he was giving man. He was giving man. Oh yeah, sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. I, actually, yeah. It's funny because I disagreed with that award. I thought Adam Salai for Hungary gave one of the best centre forward performances I've ever seen. Yeah, he it caused was, him a lot of problems. He was utterly complete defensively, and I was like, my goodness, like, you know, he's only scored twice in forty-five league games for Mainz. Mm. I went and had a look, and I'm like, but he, for Hungary, he scored like twenty-four and seventy-four. He's amazing for them. So I thought. He was my player of the match. Mm. Kimmich was the best player. I would, that's, that's fair for Germany. I think that's fair. Um, now, the funny thing with this Germany team is I don't really know necessarily the formation is wrong. I think the pieces, I was really surprised to see Sané inside instead of Werner. I was very surprised to see that. I mean, just getting, jumping ahead a little bit, I don't think Sané will start the England game. He cannot, I can't, right? I can't see how he will. And I, I know it sounds really, I don't like to sort of criticise individuals too much, but he looked really out of sorts. I think mm. the problem that he has is, <sighs> Sané is a devastating left-sided wide forward. He can be. He can be, but I don't think he operates well in the inside spaces, in the combination play that, that really knits Germany together in those spaces. And out on the right, unfortunately, because you know that he likes to cut in, they were pinning him on the touchline all night because they knew he was never going to attack the right touchline. So they were ready for him. So when he came in field, there were always two or three Hungarian players waiting for him and just collapsing the space. That was a real problem for them. Harvard still found a fair bit of space, but Gnabry was frustrated. I mean, Harvard's always finds space. He's Kai Harvard's. I thought Tony Cruz was really quite good, actually, at unpicking spaces. I thought he grew into the game. It was funny because the beginning of the game, they were very much like focused on the width. Mm. But there was a really nice period of about... It was about 20 minutes in. They'd gone a goal down and they played about 10 minutes, some like beautiful football Germany. And they should have equalised. And it was when Harvard's pulled into that space in the inside right flank, cut it wide. And then no one crashed the box. Mm. And the one really strange thing about this game was for a team that basically was so good in the left-sided positions, left-wing back positions last game, no one was crashing the far post for about 40 minutes. I was like, it's so strange. Like Germany's biggest strength in the last game was crashing that. And I wonder if it's because Nago was so good in the right big right position, they were, they were hesitant. Well, yeah, I just was, think it was, sorry to cut in, but I just think it was yeah. the hungry back five. Like, it was so it, good, it, yeah. It, it was just, it was just it, it didn't give Germany anywhere near as much space yeah. or ability to, to exploit 
than the Portugal game. And the problem was that was, that was my point. They kept trying to do the same thing. Yeah, like, yeah. And it just wasn't working. But sorry. I thought, yeah, I thought, no, no, it's fine. I thought, I thought Nego was outstanding as the right wing back for, mm. for Hungary. Um, Adam Salah, I mentioned Roland Salah up front. I think four, so four of the starting 11 play in, play, play in Germany. Mm-hmm. I think Freiburg, Mainz and two at Leipzig. So they'd done their homework. They had a kind of bit of inside track. But really Hungary in all three games were just, they presented so many problems for each team. And mm. they could conceivably, with more luck, have gone away with five points. I saw a stat somewhere. Someone t- uh, tweeted us a, a stat that's saying, I don't think anyone, like no one led for longer or trailed for less than Hungary in the group. Yeah, Mikko Jongsma. Mikko Jongsma on Twitter yeah. sent that. Yeah, amazing tweet. Yeah, like, amazing stat. You said actually, you tweeted very early on that you could have seen Hungary sneaking that game against Portugal. And I yeah, know that, that Portugal- that came, yeah. <laughs> That opened up a whole can of worms. The most lopsided scoreline of the entire tournament. Yeah, because just because they literally had the ball in the net twenty seconds later. Like you and Wright were talking about on Wright's house, and it was a bit it was a bit funny, but in that sense where it was like, holy shit, that just happened. But they were a millimeter, well, not a millimeter, but they were a very small margin from from getting a goal late in the game against Portugal before Portugal got their three. They have the ability to massively frustrate teams who you would look, you would say on paper have far more quality. But that's because of system. This is all about, all without Soboslai as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who's got the best player who's not, not been in the tournament? Absolutely. So, you know, Hungary were outstanding, actually. Andrew Weber, a good friend of mine, he pointed out that this team to him felt so classically Italian with the 5-3-2. Oh, nice. And Marco Rossi is the, you know, mm. the Italian coach of the, um, of the Hungarian national side. Shout out to him because he coached this absolutely beautifully. And it's so fun. It's so funny when you have a manager from another country who comes in and coaches a national team, but just gets it. So shout out to him. It was outstanding. And Thomas Mortimer, who covers Hungarian football, who's great uh, on Twitter, you can find him. Uh, Thomas Mortimer said, it's funny, we're devastated. It's a devastating mm. result. We've drawn against France and Germany and gone out and we've been outstanding in each match. And I think that really speaks to the strength and depth of this, of this group and kind of this tournament as well. Because even teams that, and we'll get into this in the second half, but even teams that were very conservative starting out, they all showed something pretty much by the end. They all showed something. Like, and I speak specifically about maybe, I suppose, Poland and Sweden, who Spain. kind of started, yeah, who kind of started, you know, let's be honest, like a lot of teams do in England to an extent, they start the Euros in not even like a third gear, like a second gear, because it's almost like get out of the group and then spread your wings. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I, I said this on Wright's house, how I think people have kind of forgotten how inherently conservative or pragmatic international tournament football can be, especially in the early stages, because Wednesday night was a prime example of the margins. Like Germany were, were bottom of the group, second and third throughout the entire game. Hungary were going through, then they weren't, then they were again. It's just like the margins are so small in that initial stage that, just keeping clean sheets is like, sometimes you've seen teams who have like three draws can get you through. Right. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the game itself quickly, I think that obviously Leon Goretzka coming on, scoring the winner, uh, sorry, sorry, scoring the equalizer. Um, it felt like a winner, really. It did feel like a winner. Yeah. Weird enough. Yeah. Yeah. It did. Yeah. yeah. I wonder there's, there's a good, there's a good essay there, like equalizers that feel like winners. Yeah. The kind of like the narrative around it, because obviously for those who don't know, Leon Goretzka is probably one of the most switched on, kind of outspoken and um, socially aware footballers within the Germany setup. Uh, In world football, I'd be honest. 
I mean, yeah, he's great. Yeah. yeah, in the men's yeah. game, I think for sure. Yeah, yeah. He's a good. He's a good boy, is Leon. I mean, it was a good, it was a great goal. Like I, I was actually saying, I think about ten minutes before, I was saying it would actually be before they made the final round of subs. So it would be quite nice to see someone like Florian Neuhaus come on, because the kind of goal that this game is going to get is one of those kind of. Like Germany needs someone to basically just ping one in from outside the box. Like, this is yeah. the game where it feels like kind of very similar to Christensen's goal for Denmark the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Goretzka just smashes. I said, and I literally followed up with like, oh, Go- oh, Goretzka just smashing one home inside the box, <laughs> close enough. Like you know, yeah, I can't go wrong. That yeah, kind exactly. of goal. It wasn't. It, yeah. felt, it didn't really feel like it was going to be done with a set piece or no, because you're too wise to that. Yeah. yeah, it was very, very, very compact in the box, and it just felt like someone needed to pull out a little bit. And I think Jam- Jamal Musiala was a great call by Love. Actually, um, he, he, I was really impressed by that sub. Yeah, there, it's yeah. really interesting. Actually, we'll t- we'll touch on him in a minute, but like. A couple of uh, couple of youngsters displaying Dawson's law throughout the day. Yeah, Jamal Musiala playing a major part for the Goretzka goal, and Pedri with a hat trick of pre assists in the Spain game. That first one was gorgeous. I know, I know. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it means that Germany will play England. I think Love will be encouraged by the fact that he did quite he did make quite a radical change, if you like for the second half at half time ultimately it worked I mean then Germany conceding that second goal straight away was kind of wild and I actually think that although the defending was extremely ropey and Germany just weren't switched on from the kickoff Neuer massively overcommits on that he could have held a step and the ball goes straight into his arms there were a couple of times when they were playing late on chasing the game and Neuer was about 10 yards further up than what was probably advisable to be honest the funny thing with Joni being exposed for Hungary's goal, I know we're talking about this a lot, but I have to get this in. The funny thing with Joni being exposed for Hungary's second goal is that Thomas Muller wasn't on yet. And you could see his face and he was like, that doesn't happen if I'm there. You could see him because he wanted to come. I think he'd either just come on or he was just about to come on, but he was going to come on and organise the team. No, he came on at the same time because they, they hooked Harvard right. and so he just, yeah, he just, so, I think so he'd, he'd literally just come on, I think. So Muller, yeah, sorry, Thomas Muller had just come on and the look on his face, you could see he was like, I'm here to organise this. And all you had to do was basically play this out. Mm. And you could see it. You could see, and there was the, the amazing photo panned across when it was still 2-1 to Hungary. The looks on the faces of the Germany players. I know. Gnabry, Harvard's just looking hollow-eyed. Yeah. I mean, it was ama- that, that game, the drama in this match, honestly, like you could study. I, I wrote on the Twitter, I was like, you could... You could write a novel about this game, about the surrounding context and the actual action. It was. Should we go to the other game? Yeah, let's do it. France Portugal, aka oh Laos versus Laos. Yes, yes. Oh, can I say this as well? Like the headline will be the standoff between Benzema and Ronaldo in terms of them getting two goals each. But can I say this? This is my own personal favourite. Pogba's long passing. Paul watching, Pogba. Watching Pogba this tournament has been amazing. Oh my goodness. Paul Pogba is like a, he's like a Jaguar that came straight out of the showroom. Like when Pogba is on, it's, it's, it's spiritual, honestly. I think he may be my favourite player to watch at the absolute peak because he controls tempo, he controls mood, his creativity is extraordinary, the vision, the things that he sees. You know, Portugal, they came ready. Mm. And the only thing that opens up a Portugal team that's sitting deep and being reactive is passing like that. Mm. It was no coincidence that I think what his long passes led to the penalty Zimbabwe got brought down. Then he's got, he got the assist for Benzema's second. 
And then he very nearly scored at the very end. And after that hesitation dribble that takes, that throws the man off, almost puts the top right corner. And what's impressive about France before we get into the, the wider analysis is, is the combinations they've managed to establish already with that new front line. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely room for improvement still as well, which is quite encouraging from a French point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, they won the they won the World Cup kind of like progressing at a rate like this, I think. Yeah. And then they kind of came alive against Argentina in the second round. Yeah. And that's kind of what tends to happen like a lot of the time. I think Spain in, I think it was 2008 maybe. I think it was 2008. They had like one big kind of blowout game in the group stage. But apart from that, it was quite tentative. And in the World yeah. Cup, they were winning games by a very narrow margin in the right, they only had in like, 2010. Yeah, they only had one two-goal game yeah. against, I think, Chile, and the rest was all like one nil. Yeah, exactly. It takes time, I think, for teams to get used to each other again for tournaments and just to kind of fall into that mindset. But Benzema, did you see that amazing stat that both of his goals happened on 46 minutes and 44 seconds, one before halftime in stoppage time and one after halftime? That's incredible. That's so cool. But I thought he was looking good. He was actually, I mean, he was my tip for Golden Boo if France mm. go deep. Getting a couple of goals at the end of the group stages, I think is good for, for him in terms of just like clicking back into gear at international level. But, you know, there was that little bit of a wobble when we thought France might kind of implode again before the tournament yeah. had even begun. And um, it's all kind of settled down a little bit now. Yeah, I saw that game, especially last night. I looked at that and thought, no, this is now fine. Pogba was hitting passes like that one. He, the, I mean, the one that he hit for the Mbappe goal, uh, the Mbappe penalty, sorry. Yeah. Which I don't, think, I don't think was a penalty at all. Yeah, yeah. I think it was extremely, Although extremely generous. they had that one on uh, Coman towards the end of the game, which absolutely was a penalty. Probably the most clear-cut penalty of the game. Because I think Lloris's one on, on Danilo... I think it was a penalty, but there's a, there's an argument. Kind there of to, ball in head. There's an argument to be, hey, yeah, because he does hit the ball. I think it's because he just absolutely cleaned he did him out. absolutely clean him. He cleaned him. Yeah. And I, th- I think because it looked, I mean, you saw, you saw his face mm. and his eyes were just rolling about. I mean, he might have been in, he might have been in Kreuzberg for all he knew. I mean, he was knocked halfway across Europe. Like, his, honestly, his eyes, I was actually generally a bit concerned because when you see it first in real time and then the replay, you're like, Loris did not come with, bad intent but it maybe was I suppose slightly reckless intent yeah but you see keepers get away with that all the time don't you and I'm you not do, saying it's right do. and I think that's when, yeah. when I think actually I can understand why the penalty was given yeah I think the Mbappe one wasn't a penalty but France definitely should have had a penalty at the end so Mbappe basically like he tripped over a street sign yeah you know, like, <laughs> do you know what it was I think he, I think Mbappe was channeling his inner, inner Vincent company who had the very similar reaction when Pogba hit a very similar pass against Belgium in the World Cup. <laughs> remember, we, we, we love Vincent Kompany, but do you remember Pogba's pass against Belgium in the World Cup 2018 where Vincent Kompany, I think he's still looking for it. Oh my God, no, I don't remember it. No, no, no I don't remember it. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and it was, a, I, mean, I think that pass that he did was just very, just like, even Mbappe was like, whoa. Some of just, that passing was sci-fi, honestly. It it's was, amazing, man. Yeah. Paul Pogba at international level, is just a shining example of how important fit is. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's totally it. Like it's not, it's not much deeper than that, I don't think. But yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo became, with two penalties, became the all, well, he equaled Ali Dai's international goal scoring record. He equaled Ali Dai's 109 goals with his two penalties against France. 
obviously, we know that Christine Sinclair is the all-time international yeah. record goal scorer for Canada. But yeah, Ronaldo doing it, man. Is he going to win Golden Boot? Uh, conceivably. Well, he's got five now. It's between him and own goal. Yeah, he's got five. I mean, that's... And it's quite a lot to be ahead. Two goals ahead in a tournament that's tight. And goals won't be easy to come by as games go on. But they shouldn't be. Mm. Obviously, Lewandowski out. Wijnaldum's got three. Lukaku's got three. I think Lukaku's a shout for Golden Boot, actually, as well. Yeah, he was my shout. So, Portugal will play Belgium in the next round. Well, Belgium will play Portugal, which I think... That is tasty. That is my tie of the I think in a purely footballing sense, that's the tie of the round. Yeah, I see that. That's how I feel about it. Um, obviously, you've got Germany, England, which is full of narrative for England, Germany. But like I tweeted, you know, I think this, the rivalry in Germany just isn't as it's still big, but it's not it's nowhere near as big as it is in England. You know, I think for Germany, like Netherlands, France, and Italy, are bigger footballing rivalries than England. Small sample size, but no one in my Germany WhatsApp group was hyped about it. No, and none also, of the Germans they were they weren't that. Yeah, fast. and also I was I was watching the post match highlight stuff, and um, it was all just very matter of fact. You know, England at Wembley, different set of problems. I think the thing that's interesting is that from here it's very much like you know England is still seen as kind of like the home of football. Mm. So I think it's more about the occasion of playing England at Wembley Stadium. That's yeah, that's right. the hype thing. But the the whole like. I mean, you saw the English back pages this morning. It's not really any, it's not hammed up in any way like it is in England. Yeah, a, yeah. Quickly before we move on, Spain hammered Slovakia. Pedri was amazing. Oh my goodness, yeah. And Busquets was good, actually. Busquets played really, really well, I thought. Busquets plays well against, but this is, this is, nothing, this is nothing new. Busquets plays well against those deep line teams. Mm. Like he just pulls you to pieces. If you don't rush him, then he'll, he'll eat you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a game that you expected them to win. And I think after the first two games, I, th- I actually really enjoyed before that. I think Elliot Ross was tweeting about how Spain have basically bored the shit out of everyone for three hours and then to come alive against Slovakia. But I was like, I really, I was like, you know, putting my hand up. I actually really enjoyed the Sweden game, the Spain-Sweden game, even though... <laughs> I, I weirdly, I felt, I was critical of, of how, um, this is why I'm not an international manager, I was critical of how Luis Enrique was using Pedri because I felt, particularly in the Sweden game, that he should have been more on the front foot. And I felt like he was pushing the wrong midfielder forward because Pedri mm. was the one that makes the incursions, but he had Pedri as the controller, right? And I worried the same against Slovakia, that Pedri being the controller and Koke like going was the wrong blend because Koke is not as good offensively as Pedri, in my opinion. But this is the thing. Pedri is the best controller in that midfield. Like he's, the, he's better at it. He's amazing. He's better at it than, than Thiago at this point, just because of the, the fitness aspects, I think. He has the mobility. He has the eye. The way that he plays that, as you mentioned, that pre-assist, the first one, he does almost like a basketball player when he hit a three and he leaves the hand, he mm. leaves his foot hanging. He, like, he, 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 he hits this beautiful scoop pass that goes into the right, inside right channel that, let, that ends up um, with the, the second goal, I think, for, I think it's Laporte's header, mm-hmm. the second goal for Spain. And I was like, this man sees, well, he's, he's a boy. Like he's a boy. But he's, he plays like, yeah, he plays like, plays like someone in that. So who called it? Tiago, Tiago called him an old style footballer. Yeah. Is well, this is, a, this, is, this, is, this is interesting because I was talking to, in the right, his WhatsApp group, in the right house WhatsApp group the other day when, uh, during the England game, I was saying that how like, Bakayo Saka plays with the brain of someone who is like hitting the end of their career. Right. 
his movement is so wise. It reminds me a lot of, you You know, when like fast players start to lose their pace and all of a sudden they drop a little bit deeper and their movement gets super intelligent. He's got that at a really young age. Pedri is the same. Do you know who reminded me of that? It's quite poignant. Bukayo Saka, when, when I first saw Oxlade Chamberlain come on in a yeah. Champions League match yeah. and he just took control. I was like, that is what it reminded me of. And, that, and that's quite poignant because Oxlade Chamberlain's injury problems have been what they are. But Saka, you're right. Saka and Pedri are amazing because they're capable of isolating. That mm. they're, 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 they're capable of finding themselves in the middle of the chaos. Yeah. Which sounds I mean, quite existential, but, yeah, but they, they, are, they are. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, all I was thinking was like, can you imagine those two playing in the same team? Can I tell you something? There's probably a club that, in Europe that's imagined it. Arsenal. No, Bayern Munich imagined it. Can you stop that, please? Sorry, sorry. No, no, sorry. Do you know If I was Arsenal, I would, uh, I would throw every single penny that they have at Pedri and Barcelona for him. What's that thing in that they say in a, in a, was it in an Avengers Endgame, get that man a shield, get that man a contract extension and get him a huge buyout clause. Well, Honestly. Well, because they, like, they, they can't, they're not going to be able to shift a lot of people. I mean, this isn't going to happen in a million years, so please don't at me. But like seeing Pedri and Saka in the same team is just big chef's kiss energy. Pedri sees everything. Yeah. At that astonishing. age. Yes, astonishing. I, I, I remember we said it on, not long after his debut, I can literally remember me tiptoeing into that, just being like, do you know, do you know what it was? Do you know what it was? Don't do it. I think it was October. I think he made his debut in the September and I think it was a Stadio episode in October or November. And I was just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I was like, it's Iniesta. That the, and you saw it and I saw it. We all saw it and no one wanted to say it. No one wanted to say it. I'm not bigging myself up, but it was just like, you don't make comparisons to Iniesta that quickly. But Well, I knew it was a big thing for you because you normally are very, very tentative. And I, for you to say it, I'm like, it is legit. Because you're, you're very wary about stuff like that. And I was, but you were completely right, right? And you were completely right. But this right. is he, the thing that since yeah. then, he's done it so much that it's not, it's not even like a thing anymore. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like, hyperbole or it doesn't feel like a gigantic take because he does it so often yeah. and he's very much like like Saka and Bellingham and Pedri three young players who have really emerged over the last year and they've passed pretty much every single test that's been in front of them and Pedri you know how good it is because I'm, I'm always wary about tweeting about Barcelona because Barcelona Twitter is on it yeah they do yeah. not miss a trick no right? not at all and we follow a lot of people who we massively respect in that world. And I always kind of like, you know, if I get like a like of Kevin Williams, I'm a bit like, all right, okay. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, or Diana you know, Christine, Diana yeah. Christine pops in and like, and Diana Christine responded to when I was tweeting about Pedri. She, she was just like, Ryan, we'd like, we'd, it feels like we don't deserve him kind of thing. And I was just like, just enjoy him. Just enjoy it. Like almost like don't ask questions, just enjoy him because he's so good, Pedri. And I'm really, really interested to see how he does further in the tournament as well because I, I, I could see him, for example. I mean, if you think about the next midfield, the next midfield battle against Croatia. Wow, you know you're going to have Kovacic, Brozovic, and uh, Modric, Modric yeah. against what Busquets, Koke, and Pedri. Like that's a that, close matchup. That's a close matchup. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's going to be super fun to watch. And I mean, personally, I think Spain will come through that. Here's a hot take. Belgium, Portugal, for me, is the tie of the round, but you could argue the midfield battle of the round in terms of the most intriguing. 
Modric versus Pedri, you know, because the old master Modric showing signs of life mm-hmm. towards the end of those group stages, mm-hmm. really, really impressively. Um, Pedri, for me, this is the most impressive emergence. And obviously Bellingham is part of that. But this feels like when, when Kaká went to AC Milan mm. and Rui Costa and Rivaldo were ahead of him in the pecking order. And within a few months, they were both basically sidelined or gone. Yeah. Pedri is like their Thomas Muller. That whole like, Muller always plays. Mm. Pedri always plays. And this is the thing as well for Barcelona. I knew just how good Pedri was, not just by watching him, but when you see how Messi trusts him and how they combine. Yeah, man. Messi is the road, isn't he? Messi and Ansu Fati, Messi and Pedri and Ansu Fati. This is the thing. Pedri and Ansu Fati, two of the best young players in world football, and they're both at Barcelona. I know. And if Ansu Fati was at this, this Euros, this is the thing. For some people in this podcast that haven't had a chance to watch him regularly before his injury, he's extraordinary. He's everything that Pedri is, but in a wide forward sense, in a forward sense. He's a Spanish sucker. Yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Basically, they're, they're, they're kind of like, they're really similar. Saka, I think. the English yeah. Ansu Fati. Yeah, yeah, there we exactly. go. It's there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's take a quick break. All right, man, let's zoom out a little bit. Personally, I don't think we need to go much into the UEFA stuff because I think so much has been said and people know our thoughts on it anyway. I agree. One thing I would say is just, I'd keep it very concise. And that is that um, UEFA have been given a hell of a lot of free hits since the Super League stuff and they've absolutely fumbled every single one of them. They fumbled it in the aftermath of the Super League. They fumbled it massively in the response to the Christian Eriksen incident and again they fumbled it here and I mean actually ironically I think that their decision and the pushback from it or the pushback that it caused I think actually led to a more joyous occasion because it left it left it out of UEFA's hands but UEFA need to need to really decide what they're doing going forward and all football federations do this isn't a hot take we've said this before a million times like you can't half step anymore you can't push initiatives like equal game and then tiptoe around it with with statements like that like that statement was absolute garbage yeah, for those it, who haven't it seen was, the it wasn't unexpected, yeah. but it was still garbage. Yeah. I mean, p- people can go and find it, and I think that people would probably know our thoughts on this anyway. And I, I assume people would probably agree because because people have been listening to us for a while. But it's not surprising. It's another just kind of like having your cake and eating it from UEFA. Absolutely right. I mean, those who haven't seen the statements called UEFA respects the rainbow, and I think it is a statement that football historians will study as a landmark in how not to push progressive initiatives through football. And I think UEFA need to reflect, if they are interested in doing so, why there are no openly gay men at the professional level, you know, the visible professional level in any of their tournaments. Yep. Like this is, they have to ask themselves that. Federations have to lead and they have to yeah. be the people who push for better conditions around the sport in order to normalize homosexual players. Yeah, yeah. They're in charge of the sport. They are supposed to be leading. So fucking lead. Don't leave it right. to everyone else. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, we need to address something. Neil Cedric says, apart from Turkey, they were dark horses, you know. Has any team really disappointed you in their play so far, even in terms of those through to the last 16? <clears throat> now, you, I think you and I both picked Turkey as dark horses, right? Yeah, yeah. 
And um, the reason that we picked Turkey was because you look at the personnel that they had and you think these people could do some damage, especially in that group. They are probably the most disappointing. I think the most disappointed I've been with a with a team this tournament because they just didn't they didn't show anything. And I think you were saying that even Turkish friends of yours who cl- watch them closely, who watch yeah, them like really like, regularly, Musa, we uh, we don't even baffled. Yeah, it's one of those like it's disappointing, but it's not surprising because I think that's the very nature of a dark horse, right? If they fail, then you kind of have to slightly expect it because that's the very reason that you picked them to be a dark horse in the first place. Absolutely, and just or to the I, point of... Am I, am I UEFA-ing, no, no, you're my, fair to, am I UEFA-ing myself around that in my statement? No, because the, the point of picking dark horses, I said to a friend of mine, Zan, it'd be interesting to do an assessment of, of how many minutes each squad member had played in the UEFA Champions League and the Europa League. Mm. Um, I didn't mention... Yeah, so basically, uh, if you tallied up all of those, you can't then call a team like Italy a dark horse because, for goodness sake, they've got Lorenzo Insigne and Ciro Mobile and Chiellini. Come on, like, these are not clowns. These are not clowns, right? Um, and then Marco Verratti, Jorginho in midfield. Hungary, a huge dark horse because they were more like a Costa Rica where they had players yeah, yeah. playing brilliantly. They, they, were, they were kind of a mix of Costa Rica at the World Cup um, and 2014 and I would say Greece, 2004. I wonder, sorry to jump in, I wonder if, if you switched Turkey and Hungary in terms of which groups they were in, I bet you a load of people would have picked Hungary as the dark horse, actually. That's interesting. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I think the disappointments for me, I would have hoped Poland would show slightly more because Lewandowski had a little bit more help this time than he hasn't had in, in maybe previous tournaments. I would say Slovakia, unfortunately. I know, that, I, then again, I, I hesitate because they, they kind of pushed themselves, I think, as far as they could. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't think there were that many teams that really let themselves down. I think there are teams that could be disappointed in themselves to an extent. I would say maybe Poland at a stretch, just because I thought they have quite a nice set of attacking tools, to be honest. Mm. And I felt they were kind of putting it together in the final game. But this is the thing. It's, we saw this with Argentina in World Cup 2002. If you put it together too late, you go out. Mm. And it was almost like they were one game out of time, Poland. So yeah, I would say disappointments. Not too many. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. It's hard to say that the team actually let, let, let themselves down in this tournament. I think Russia so. might be disappointed of not getting out of that group. Maybe, but I, I think they became a known quantity. This is yeah. the thing. I think, I think Russia, funnily enough, in 2018, they were under the radar. Mm. And then you saw, like, like for example, Artem Zuba, like went under the radar in the World Cup. But then this time around, it was so funny. I was, I was, I was looking at him going, my goodness, the way that they man mark him, they basically have to mark, he's so big, they have to kind of like mark him in installments. Mm-hmm. You almost get the impression like he's got man markers that stand like the first one gets him and the next one is like two feet off him. And they clamped down everything like Golovin didn't have the room we expected. So they yeah. really, Russia almost, um, they showed their hand so much at the 2018 World Cup that everyone saw them coming. So I'm not even sure that they were, they were a bit disappointed, I will say, in terms of how they, they weren't as resilient defensively as I would have thought they'd be. Mm. I will say that. Yeah. Um, this one from Kieran Williams. Biggest surprise, good or bad, be it, be it player, team, manager. I actually, we didn't mention it in part one because I kind of wanted to talk about them a little bit, but um, we're running a little bit short of time. But Sweden, Sweden, I, don't, I wouldn't say they're the biggest surprise, but I think they're, um, I think seeing Sweden and Denmark, well, Sweden qualifying top of the group, I think is big. Um, and I think it's an amazing achievement in that group, to be honest. 
But I don't think it's a huge surprise because they do have quality in there. You know, Emil Forsberg is a good, good player. He's very experienced. Um, Alexander Rizak is Robin there. Lustig. Yeah, they've got a big, big, like... <laughs> they catfished us with the opening performance. They catfished us. They played. Yeah, but, 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 yeah. but I don't think, I think that, yeah, maybe they catfished us in terms of the performance, but in terms of the tactics, like you said on Wrighty's House, in terms, of, and we were talking about the tactics for the whole tournament, that mm. point against Spain now looks unbelievable because you follow it up with two wins and they've come, they've got, like, I don't think anyone has, I think only put, um, uh, only Italy and Belgium, Italy, Belgium, Netherlands have got more points out of the group stage. And they Sweden. were, and they were aggressive. They were aggressive in the, um, in the game against Poland. I mean, to go and win it when they kind of didn't need to, the point would have been enough. Then go out and win it and finish top of the group, I think for them is amazing. And they've got, and you would have to fancy them against the Ukraine. Well, Jan Anderson said this. He said, uh, the coach, he was saying how it was a big deal because in the last time they were top the group mm. and they topped the group again this time. And it was so funny how he clearly identified that as a target drawing up the tactics. And when I, when I say catfish dust, I think what I remember that was in terms of a full sense of security, like we looked at them and thought, okay, that they completed like what, like a tiny amount of passes, like an, a tenth oh, amount the, of passes. In the Spain game. Spain game. <laughs> well, after 20 minutes, I tweeted that Spain were on course for like over 900 passes that game. Yeah, wild. And I think, so in terms of them tucking themselves in like that, it was clever because they kind of went under the radar for the next game at least took a lot took a lot of the heat off him and Isaac I thought do I think we mentioned it actually like how how much Isaac did with so little during that game yeah well it was funny because he <clears> was <throat> left to forage for himself in that match but you saw in the game against Poland when the attack joins him they're a different proposition and Forsberg because he did a tough t- tough year at Leipzig actually he had a tough year at Leipzig um not as in favor with Nagelsmann as the previous, as he was on the previous manager. Um, but he, he has been in and out for a couple of seasons now. And I think the thing about him is that he's just so experienced. He's been there such a long time that he, he's yeah. just, he's just, uh, you know, and he's getting to that stage in his career where I think he's just, he kind of expects not to be a nailed down starter. But he did have a, he did end up kind of starting a big, big run of games on Nagelsmann. Yeah, yeah. He came, he got, he got back into it. Yeah. But he did, like he's had his moments. There was, I only mentioned that because there was a slightly, not a pointed comment, but Anderson said, we know what he can do for Sweden. Almost like a reference to, even though he may not be every single week starting, we know what he gives the national team. But I would still say that my outstanding player who stood out for me is still Adam Salai. Because I, like I say, that, that, that centre forward performance absolutely blew me away. I know I'm very biased because I used to play as a striker, but see what he did, his intensity, his unselfishness, the fact he got a goal and an assist, he created, he didn't just like, he didn't just go for himself, he did it for the team. Mm. And he was absolutely relentless. I... Yeah, he blew me away. I was really impressed by him. Cesar Gonzalez says, can we have some coach fashion analysis? Um, and there have been a few pieces gone up from various places about the touchline fashion. I'm a big believer at international level, you should always go like the official suit of the FA kind of thing. I think that should, that should be the rules. Personally. We've just seen so much variety, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really into Luis Enrique's vibe for international level. I get it but I'm not wild about it. It's kind of like sitting on the dock of the bay type vibes, isn't it? That's why he's a... Uh... Well, I just think it's a different level. It's a different thing at international level when the games are fewer, the stages are usually bigger, if that makes sense, because you don't have a tournament every single year to play in. Well, I mean, unless you include the Nations League. Being an international manager comes with like a level of statesmanship that I think you need to... Can I say this? You need to dress the same way you dress as if you were going to the opera. 
Well, no, I disagree op- with that because it, you'd wear a tuxedo to the opera. But, but it's opera, but in terms of like the smartness, like if, if like... Like Mancini's got it nailed. Paolo Sosa could be a conductor or not. Like the way he looks, like you've got to look like you're either conducting or attending, in my opinion. Mm. Well, there was that, that yeah. video, that, that picture of Luis Enrique on the scooter in the like official Spanish FA branded kind of suit stuff. That's what he mm. should be wearing on the touchline. Yeah. Not cargo pants and a polo shirt and no socks with some Adidas trainers. It's just, no, that's not it. But then sitting on, sitting on the little bin, like the yeah, Elsa style. On. This isn't a preseason friendly. This is an international tournament. This thing, he, he trained... He dresses like a kind of conductor in practice. Mm. Like he's just like standing and like... Yeah, big dress rehearsal energy from... Yeah, exactly. Ex- exactly. It feels like a dress rehearsal. Yeah, I, I'm personally at international level. I'm a big fan of um, suited and booted managers. Treats the occasion with the respect it deserves, I think. Although it was 35 degrees in deference to him. It was absolutely sweltering. Although... He was in the shade. You could, you could take the jacket off and keep the shirt on. This is true. I must say, I did like Yogi Love's hoodie. I, did, I, did, I quite liked his like little... I quite like the little rain jacket. <laughs> oh man, if I was a, fo- yeah, although saying that, if it was raining and I was a footballer, that's different though, because it was pissing down with rain. You don't want to get a suit wet. But like, I think uh, if I was like a, say if I was Arsenal manager, for example, I just, and it started to rain, the first thing I'd do is like, fetch me the 424 poncho. The choice to get absolutely soaked or not as a manager is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Steve McLaren put the umbrella up and it ended him. Mm-hmm. He had an umbrella and it ended him. And I think a lot of managers looked at that and were like, it's too far. You're too willing to be protected from the elements. There are some managers who have stood there and taken an absolute deluge and not battered an eyelid. And I think it's very psychological, isn't it? Like just what you choose to do and how and when. What would you choose? If I'm honest, I think I go for the poncho approach because it doesn't lose you any kind of intensity and it allows you just to get on with the job. Didn't, didn't, didn't lose hunger and intensity. Marco Rossi did it. Like I say as well, Love showed me something with those substitutions. I was like, this is some, this is bold. So yeah, I don't think the, don't, the dress code affected either Rossi or, or Love in that. So yeah, I think I'll go with the poncho. There we go. Stadio, Stadio ponchos coming soon. Stadio ponchos. Actually, I'd love to do some Stadio ponchos. Oh, oh my, my God. Oh my God. There we go. There you go. Freestyle merch. <laughs> One from Cheeky Ball Boys. Shouts to Bobby. Just yep, said, yep. how are you guys? Hope all is well. We are well. Thanks, Bob. I'm very well. Moose has had his second jab, so he's even more unbearable than he was. Yes, yes. This guy won't leave me alone. Uh, Moose, what do you want? It's 3 (laughs) a.m. Never have I said the word, stop calling this number more to someone who I care deeply about. (laughs) 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 Moose is the only person when you get a text saying you up, it means something very different. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 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 <laughs> the only person who's like, have you got five minutes? And it's, no, it's actually 40 minutes. Let oh, Moose is so busy. Really? Yeah. He took, oh, yeah. he's so busy. He doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Oh, really? Yeah, really? Really? <laughs> so busy. <laughs> Out to storm warnings on Twitter. If you would care to comment on the exquisite and informative Yaya Torre Bums article, many would care to listen. <laughs> now, for those who haven't seen it, Yaya Torre wrote a piece with Athletic on the importance of bums, which I think is a, great great addition to the discourse personally because it's been incredible some good, there's been some good you know good bum chat for a while around the you know carl you know seeing carl dabble in some footballing bums chat for those non-british english speakers we mean butts so playing with your back to goal basically yeah. and like how you know basically having a muscular bum is really really good yeah. when you're holding off players and it was like yeah someone like He's, it's so funny because he goes through all the players who are really good at it. Like Benzema's great with his back to goal. 
he talks about Iniesta, surprisingly good. You can't get the ball of him. And then it's so funny because it's almost like fan service. He goes, I know there's a lot of talk. Because everyone, of course, is reading it going, he has to mention Aidan Hazard. It's like the Simpsons moment. Like when everyone's in the classroom going, say it, say it, say mm-hmm. it. And he says, Aidan Hazard. And everyone just goes wild. And Yay. he mentions Aidan Hazard. Yay. Aidan <laughs> <laughs> Hazard is well known for having a you know, very large you know, backside. But he said, actually, that's a strength. That's like the physical strength that the ability to roll and hold off players. You saw Lukaku against Finland, his superb goal, um, Belgium's second, where he basically just rolls the defender, gets close to the defender. But the defender's actually nowhere in the picture, really. Like he's not even close to him in terms of getting the ball off him. And yeah, it was just, it's a really great piece of analysis because this is the thing, and it, it, we're joking slightly, but it's also serious. The thing that you're taught, the big coaching difference between growing up in the UK, growing up in England, playing football, and anywhere else in Europe, certainly when I was younger, was you were terrified of having a man on. Man on was basically like the worst thing possible. Man on, man on. It was like, oh my goodness, panic stations. I've got two men on me. What do I do? Whereas in Spain, for example, in that generation, they would invite pressure. So man on was actually like, oh, brilliant. How many men have I got on? Two, maybe three. I'll hold them off, put my bum out, hold them off, and then like create space for the runners. And if you watch that, I think that it's such a strange thing. But if I, could, if I had to highlight the major difference between a generation of English footballers and Spanish ones, it's that Spanish footballers love sticking their butts out under pressure. <laughs> uh, so a couple of people were tweeting us about doing like a, a bums 11. And I said, you know, maybe you should call it the BBE. Like, uh, you know, like Dilla, the tune Dilla did, Big Booty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we call it the Big Booty 11. <laughs> the Big Booty 11. <laughs> Can I say like, whatever we, whether we do one or not, Branislav Ivanovic is the first thing he on the team sheet. definitely in there. Do you know who's got a low-key, um, <laughs> low-key, you know, I'm not going to say junk because they're professional footballers. I'm going to say funk in the trunk. Funk in the trunk. <laughs> uh, Kieran Tierney. Really? Yeah. Big back, big back off. People who tuck. Yeah, the, the tuck is showing. Yeah. yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Do you want to sum up anything else from the tournament? surprisingly joyful and beautiful and chaotic, the Netherlands have been an absolute delight. Mm-hmm. They may not have necessarily received the absolute top tier test so far, but they have been an absolute pleasure to watch at each point. So yeah, thanks to them and everything they put out there. They've been, a, they've been a real credit. There've been some really, really lovely, joyful moments actually. Like obviously Denmark, they are pretty much everyone's second team at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. I'd love to see them go, go further in the tournament. Although that means putting Wales out Mm. I'm going to ask you right now, as it stands, who's winning it? France. I think, I think I'll stay with France. I'm still with France. I'm still with France. I may switch out my, uh, my potential finalists. Well, well, I'm going to have to switch out my finalists actually because of the way the draw's gone. So because I think I said France-Spain in the final, France to win. But now France and Spain are in the same side of the draw and they will play each other in the quarterfinal if they both win. So, surprise finalist, isn't it? Aye, aye, aye. The key fixture in one side of the draw in the second round is the England-Germany game. Right. That's massive. Because I think the Netherlands will beat the Czech Republic. I don't think whoever wins out of Wales and Denmark will go to the semi-finals. Although they could. You never know. They could. They could, yeah. You never know, but I just that's my hunch. And I think that whoever wins out of England and Germany will probably beat Sweden or Ukraine. Right. But remember, Wales and whoever wins out Wales and Denmark plays the Netherlands, I think, in Baku. 
I think it could be France, Netherlands, but then France would have to beat Belgium. But you've got Italy there as well in that side of the draw. I don't know, you know, I don't know. I still think, I still think I'll stick with France, but it's, my God, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I can't, I mean, we, I know we have to pick, we, we had asked to pick our predictions for finals and for the run-in. But yeah, my sort of main predictions were France winning it and Lukaku with the golden boot. Those are sensible. They're looking, I think, they're looking good. The sensible predictions, I think. Look at you being sensible for a change. <laughs> I know, I know. First time, it's my old age. <laughs> uh, all right, let's bounce. Let's do it. We can't, this is kind of like a semi-normal schedule at the moment because we'll be back on Monday. Yeah, we hope everyone's staying safe and well, enjoying a couple of days off from the football before it comes back on Saturday. If you want to check us on Twitter, go to at Stadio. Also, remember, the pinned tweet will have the link to buy our t-shirts if you want to go and buy them. They're only available for the next 12 days. And then they will all be shipped out to you. Stadio Football on Instagram. Stadio.football is our website. Or you can check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Righty's House will be up next Wednesday. We'll be up on Monday. Anything else, Musa? No, I think we're good. We're playing out this episode on I Want to Be Love by Stevenson Fosters. Have a lovely weekend, everyone. Much love. Stay well. And we'll be back on Monday. See you then.